Would you pray along with me? So, Father, I thank you for the truth of the glimpse of heaven that we get in this place. That your people gathered are a taste of eternity. When we will get to see you in all of your holiness and spend eternity together in fellowship with you and with each other. Lord, until that day comes, may we be living today for what matters forever. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray these things, and all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat. The last words penned by the great Apostle Paul before he was beheaded are these. For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will himself give me on that day. And not only me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Fifteen plus years ago, the Lord really convicted me to ask myself the question, what would it look like to live that life poured out for him that I might die the death Paul died? He's on death row. This is his most passionate letter because he knows his time is short. And he's asking not just Timothy, who he writes this letter to, but us today. He's asking us what really matters. And he's compelling us to live a life where we would never be ashamed. And that's what today's message is about, that we would live today in a way that we would never be ashamed. So here's my question. Is your life on the road you want it to be? Is your life on the road you want it to be? Or, or what measuring stick are you even using to measure that? Is it your health physically? Is it your success, whether it be in your occupation or in sports or um, just in relationships? Is it just comfort? Like, how do we measure whether we're even on the right track? That's what we're going to answer today, or Paul's going to answer for us in this letter. So open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is towards the end of your New Testament. It's all the T's are together, so if you just start going to the right from the Gospels, you'll get past some of the big letters like 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then you're going to get to the T's, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy. And I'm actually going to remind us of what we talked about in week one. We're three weeks into this series that, we're, that we've entitled, Are You Ready for This?, and in week 1, in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says this. Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And then in verse 12, we saw that he says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. And then I love this, For I know whom... I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So that's the question we ask today, is, is your life on the road, Paul has laid out for us here, about living 
unashamed for the gospel. So if you turn, at least in my Bible, you have to turn the page to where Jeff took us last week. I want to start there to run up to our passage today in the second half of chapter 2. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 8, this is where Jeff spent most of his time last Sunday going through those imperatives. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendants of David according to my gospel, which I suffer, I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Verse 10, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that you may also obtain a salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And now on to today's passage. He says, remind them of these things. What things? The things we just read. So how do we live a life knowing we're on the right road? The first thing is we have to follow the right road map. Right? We have to follow the right road map. And if you look at what he says there, starting in verse 14, remind them of these things, the things that Jeff talked about last week, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which are useless and lead to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Guys, do you see our responsibility in that passage? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Now wait a minute. I know what approves us to God is the cross of Jesus Christ, and to that I say amen. It is finished, paid in full. He's not talking about unto salvation here, but he is he's going to, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, he's going to go on in the rest of this message and in next week's message and talk about, but what does, it what does our part in presenting our lives to God look like? Even as we are able to, to have access to the throne of grace because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So when he says, be diligent, if you're, if you, the ASV, I think, translates that, do your best. I like that translation. Do your best. Even as you know God's going to do his part and has done his part, you do your best. Why? Because we can't give away what we don't have. Right? We cannot give away what we, do not what we do not own. We cannot lead people places we're not willing to go. We shouldn't ask people to do things that we're not willing to pay the price to do ourselves. So Paul's saying, guys, if you're going to be all that Christ wants you to be, Timothy, if you're going to be all that Christ wants you to be, Jesse, if you're going to be all that Christ wants you to be, Tom, then you do your part. Because otherwise you can't possibly say, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Can you say that? Can you look at somebody else? If you're a parent, can you look at your kids and say, follow me as I follow Christ? But everybody in here, we ought to have, if you're a believer in Christ, you ought to have spiritual children. Can you look at them and say, follow me as I follow Christ? Do what I do. And if you can't, why? Why? What are you waiting for? 
right? It's don't let the answer to that question, can you say to someone, follow me as I follow Christ, don't let your answer to that question just pass you by. Because your eternity hangs in the balance. What you will spend eternity doing hangs in the balance of how you answer that question. And we're going to see that today and throughout the rest of this study and then going into the Revelation study this summer. Our response to the gospel matters. Unto salvation for sure. God created everything. Man rebelled. Christ redeemed. Our job is to respond to that answer, to that. But our response doesn't just end in having his blood applied to my life because I said, yes, Lord, you are my Lord and Savior. Our response is ongoing. And our accountability for it is ongoing as well. This refrain of Paul's is really common in his letters. This idea of follow me as I follow Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those walking according to the example you have in us. We are the us. If all anybody ever did was come in here and hang out with us for the three hours we're together from prayer to fellowship on a Sunday morning, and then maybe follow you home on Sunday evening, would they eventually be led to the cross of Jesus Christ? and to salvation? The answer to that question should be yes. It should be yes for all of us. Guys, we are to be living examples of Jesus on the earth. Not perfect examples, though. We get this idea that, well, my, I'm, just, I'm just not good enough. Who am I to say, follow me as I follow Christ? Well, if there's things in your life that you know you got to get rid of, get rid of them. What are you waiting for? We all struggle. We talked about that. I, I was so overwhelmed last Sunday with the response time of, of bringing the cards to the cross. When we talked about this idea of giving people a chance to respond by hanging their, their, their sins and their struggles on the cross of Jesus Christ, here's, here's your pastor's heart. Lord, if you could just bring, if you could just move on 25 or 30 people to be bold enough to actually get up out of their seats and hang a card on a cross. So I sat there and I prayed that over and over and over. And then I opened my eyes and I looked up. And it was like lying. It was like Disneyland. You guys are a bunch of sinners. But praise God, you know it. And you're not ashamed to bring those sins to the cross. Because that's what he wants. That's what he died for. So don't wait to be good enough. Just put your junk on the cross and then get busy living for him. But I get ahead of myself a little bit. Guys, the first call of the Christian, we talk about this a lot here at Cornerstone, the first call of the Christian is not behave, it is behold. But make no mistake, your behavior matters to God, he notices. We do, it, we do not just get to live in sin unnoticed by God because we've claimed him as our Savior. We don't want to slip into legalism, but we don't want to excuse sin. So the first thing is, if your how do you know if your life is on the road you want it to be on? First, you've got to follow the right roadmap. Next, you've got to not get sidetracked. Not get sidetracked. Pick it up in verse 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, don't lose sound doctrine. He's talking to Timothy about leading the church, 
But this should be true not just in our church, but, but his church globally. And it should be true in our homes too. Don't get sidetracked on secondary issues and, and, and especially on false doctrine. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Now, our issue today in the church, capital C, the church, isn't necessarily the resurrection. I mean, there are some that would deny all kinds of things about Christ, his divinity, the virgin birth, his actual death for our sins, his actual resurrection, but that isn't a huge thing. Here's a huge thing in the church in the West today. There's no hell. There's no judgment. There's no eternal destruction. Because in an effort to soften God and make him look more palatable, man, let's not talk about that judgment stuff. Let's not talk about hell. Who, because, because nobody's going to want to worship a God who would allow people to go to hell. So let's just get rid of it. It makes, it makes getting people in the door much easier. Because that, that is running rampant in big, in big outward ways where they're actually saying those words to more subtle ways where they just never talk about it. Well, well we know there's a hell, but, but we're not going to talk about it because hell doesn't sell. Guys, what's the point of the gospel if there is no hell? Guys, we cannot lose sight of the truth that if the good news, if the good news is that grace has bridged the gap that was created by our sin, but we remove the gap because it's more palatable, what's the point of the cross? Put it this way for you that are parents. If all you do is feed your kids ice cream and candy, and french fries. You might be popular, but you're watching your children die of diabetes and heart disease. If all we do is talk about love and grace and mercy and never talk about holiness and righteousness and wrath, all we're doing is feeding people ice cream and watching them run to hell. Guys, a just and holy God is also the justifier. Yes, he punishes sin as we want him to. Unless it's ours. But he also put that punishment on his son. And we need to embrace that. The person that has no understanding of the consequences of their sin, not, not sin, not the world's sin, this isn't just something that we inherited from Adam. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. This is something we have embraced. All of us have embraced sin. But if we don't recognize that consequence, how in the world do we recognize our need for the Christ? Right? There is no, there is no Jesus on the cross unless there is punishment for sin. In his first letter to Timothy, at the very end of that letter, this is what Paul says. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godly, godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. 
Okay, sometimes that foolishness, that so-called knowledge, looks pretty Christian. But unless it's the whole gospel, it's not the gospel. That's the key. We must not let other things be more important than preaching the whole truth and counsel of God's word. And that includes judgment. That includes wrath. That includes sin. So that grace seems all the more sweeter. So is your life on a road you want it to be? First, we have to follow the right road map. Second, we have to not get sidetracked. And third, we need to know the destination. Not just where, heaven, not just how, Jesus, but what we're going to do there. Look at what Paul says in 19 through 21. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone whose name the name of the Lord, everyone, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And then he gives an example in the next two verses. In a large house, there's not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware. Some are for honor and some are for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you that he's not just talking about here and now. He's talking also about there and then. Our work does not stop when we get to heaven. We are not just all sitting in the throne room of God singing kumbaya for all eternity. Probably after the first billion years of holy, 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 we would get bored. Right? We are going to be busy in heaven. We are going to be constantly learning. There is nothing in Scripture that makes us believe that we will know everything. Omnipotence is not one of the communicable attributes of God. Omnipotence, knowing everything, is not one of the things that God will ever give us. The Word never tells us that. We will be learning new stuff for all eternity. And what you're doing now is preparing you, or not, for what you will be doing there. So we want to make the most of that. I love how he says at the beginning of that verse 19, the firm foundation stands. God's word is the firm foundation. The firm foundation stands. And then he says there's two great truths in God's word. If you look at him, it says, there, this seal he calls it in the first part of 19. First seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lord knows who it is. It's speaking of God's Son. Here's two great truths in all of Scripture from cover to cover in this book. God is sovereign. He knows who it is. He knows who we're going to call on him. And then look at the second part. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. There's the second great truth. It's our responsibility. God is sovereign, and we are responsible. And how those two things work, I have no idea. And that's okay. But, the, but it doesn't change the truth. He's saying, God knows. Now you live like you act like it. Those who call on the name of the Lord are to abstain from wickedness. Guys, it is those two ultimate truths that actually turn people to Christ. That there is a God in heaven who is sovereign over all things, and he loves you, and he's called you to holiness. He's called you to live 
in here and now in a way that will affect there and then. But guys, for us to really get that, for us to really live that out, we have to ultimately embrace what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Because the world right now is telling us, wait a minute, two ultimate truths. There is no truth. Right? That's what's popular now. There's no ultimate truth. Everybody figures out their own truth. And we'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks as well, Lord willing. But guys, we have to get, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And right before he said that, do you remember what he said in verses 1 through 5? I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't say it, but I did say it, so it is so. I go to prepare a place, and if I go, I'm going to come back so that you can go with me there. That's, we, we've got to live like we believe that. I've got to live like I believe that. Like what I do today is going to affect what I'm going to do with whatever this is that he's preparing for us in heaven. Because it is going to affect what we do for him in heaven. In his letter to the Corinthians, in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3. It's in, it's in the same passage that Chad quoted during the gospel moment. Just right after he talks about us being the field and the workers, he says this. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. He will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. So he's not talking about salvation there, guys. You get that? He's talking about what we do here matters for eternity. And when we get there, you are either going to suffer loss or it's going to remain, and you're going to in some way carry it, whether it's physical or not, I don't know, carry it with you through eternity, doing what God has planned for you to do there forever and ever and ever. Because they got confused about it in the first letter, Paul writes about it again in the second letter. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, for, all, for therefore we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Guys, the judgment seat of Christ is not salvation. It's the Bema seat. It was the seat of reward. Paul's talking about what I just shared in, the, in 1 Corinthians 3. He's saying we're all going to appear before this judgment seat of Christ, and at that point, what you do here, look what he says. So each of you may be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's saying in that moment, whether it's because he takes you home before he gets here, or he, when he returns, everything we do, whether good or bad, is going to be laid on the beam of seat of Christ, and it's either going to burn because it was useless for eternity, or it's going to remain and be part of your reward for all eternity. Look at, look at how important this is to Paul at the end of that passage. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Because that's why what we do now matters. We need to live today like it matters forever. Because it does. Because it does. It, it, in, in the ways Chad challenged us, in the ways Jeff challenged us to get in the lives of people because their eternity, their eternal damnation hangs in the balance, but not just that. If you're already his and you're already sealed, and you're, and you're like, okay, 
what am I doing tomorrow that's going to make any difference in my eternity? Not just someone else's. Because it will. That's what we're going to talk about this summer as we walk through Revelation and Daniel. It's one of the summer studies is going to be the study that Eric and, and Brian talked about. Talking about purity. And we'll get, we're going to see that in this passage here in a few minutes. But another set of studies is going to be talking about heaven. What it's going to be like and what we're going to do there. I'm still looking for people that would either like to host or lead those groups. So email me this week if that's you. So is your life on the road you want it to be? Here's our last point. First, we have to follow the right map. We can't get sidetracked. We have to know our destination. And then we have to drive like you're in a race with the devil. We have to drive like we're in a race for the devil. Guys, I get that, there's, that, that I'm pressing hard in these messages, that Jeff was pressing hard. There's a lot of yelling going on right, the last few weeks, compared to what we've seen the last, there just is. I would blame Paul, because it's easy, because it's true. Paul is going to press us. He is already pressing us. Guys, get this. In, the, in this last little part that we're going to read in this passage, what we call chapter 2, there's 20 words in the Greek. Three of them are imperatives. That means in a couple of sentences, he's going to bark out three orders. Imperatives are just, he could have used a more gentle verb, but he doesn't on purpose. The Holy Spirit told him, you tell these people to do this. He's going to tell us to flee lust, to pursue righteousness, and to reject childish pursuits. And he isn't suggesting it. He is commanding it. We don't want to leave grace behind, guys. The gospel is not just the power to save, but it's the power to do what I'm talking about, what, we're, what, what the word is telling us to do. We can never just leave the gospel back there. But guys, come as you are, stay as you are is not in the Bible. Guys, letting other people live in sin when you know it's sin and not confronting them about it is not in the Bible. Just praying for them is found nowhere in Scripture. We are commanded to confront in love. And we're going to see that in gentleness. But we are commanded to do so. Guys, let go, let God is not a verse. Let go, let God is not a verse. Now, I get what people mean by that. And what they mean by that usually is a good thing. What they mean is, I, can't, I, I need to stop trying to control everything in my life. Absolutely. A better way to say let go like God would be trust God and act like it. Trust God and act like it. That's in the Bible. So, where do I get this point, this sense of urgency, all this yelling to even use a point, like phrase a point like this, like drive like you're in a race with the devil? Well, I get it from the Word of God. So again, you can blame Paul. Look at verses 22 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll come back to it. It says, Now flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant, or that word actually means stupid speculations. We don't use the S word in our home, but that's it. 
knowing that you produce quarrels. Now, that they produce quarrels. I'm going to come back to those verses in a minute. The Lord's bondservant, that's all of us, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Now get this, guys. Get this, the last part of verse 25 and verse 26. If perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. We're going to come to the last part of that here as we wrap up the message in a, in a couple of minutes. But guys, I, just let that link, read that last part of verse 26 again. He's not talking, hyper, he's not speaking like um, allegorically here. He's saying for real, the devil is for real, and he is holding captive souls of people to do his will. That ought to scare us. That ought to scare us for every unbeliever we know. So the first part of the passage that we looked at, so in verses 22 and 23, those are our three imperatives. Flee lust, pursue righteousness, refuse foolishness. Jeff spent a lot of time on that idea last week, so I'm just going to say this. If the pursuit of holiness is missing in your life, it is because sin has lost its meaning, and that means grace has lost its message. Guys, if the pursuit of holiness is missing in my life, and there are times when it is, I confess that before you guys regularly. There are moments where I choose poorly for eternity. It's in that moment that sin has lost its meaning. Meaning, I have forgotten that it is an affront to a living God. And grace has lost its message. That grace not only covers my sin, so okay, I guess I'm just going to go ahead and do it because I, I'm covered by grace. No, that's not in the Bible. Grace has lost its message. That grace is the power to overcome that moment. That grace is the power to overcome that moment when I'm not pursuing holiness. Verses 24 and 25, he's talking about that we're supposed to not be quarrelsome, we're to be patient, we're supposed to be able to teach, we're supposed to be gentle, we're supposed to correct those in opposition. Guys, ultimately, if I had to summarize this in those couple of verses in a, in a phrase, I would say stop arguing. Stop arguing with each other. Stop arguing with your spouse. Stop arguing with your kids. Stop arguing with the world. If you're, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they're argumentative, if you're doing what Chad encourages us to do at a restaurant and saying, hey, to your waiter, hey, can I pray for you right now? And they just lay into you and go, I don't believe in any of that blankety blank, blank, blank. Don't argue with them. Just see it for what it is. Just in your head go, of course they responded that way. You're not going to win the guys. No one has ever been won to Christ by winning an argument. The minute an argument starts, the minute a conversation turns into an argument, would be a clearer way to say it, communication has ceased. So just stop. We've got to stop. We've got to stop arguing. It's pointless, and the enemy loves it. Think about it. 
We want to turn there, but in Galatians chapter 5, the deeds of the flesh are evident, they are, and we list them, and we want to focus on the big ones, homosexuality and, and, and fornication and, and adultery, and, all, and, and those are big. Most of the ones he lists as the deeds of the flesh, anger, dispute, licentiousness, gossip, slander, malice, rage, they're all anger issues. That's what he lists. They're all relationship problems. But, he finishes with just two verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. But here, let's get back. Well, let me ask you a question. Kind of, We're going to start wrapping up our time here. Do you want to live your life on the right road? Because the question is, is your life on the right road? Do you want to stop being distracted by petty problems? Guys, are you tired of the fight? Are you tired of arguing with yourself, with people? Do you want to live a life so that at the end of your days you have no doubt and you're unashamed? Then live for him. Guys, watch what... Carrie and I, who's not here today, makes me sad, they're still away, we rarely fight. We're just too stinking busy. Honestly. Like, we're too busy, and I, and I don't mean this perfectly. You guys know, neither of us are. We're just too busy living for him. We ain't got time for petty arguments. And, and we'll talk like that to each other. We'll talk like that to the girls. We just don't, we're, the enemy is at work in our house right now because we're fighting. He is laughing in our faces because not only are we fighting against each other, but we are not being a light for the gospel. Because you can't do those things simultaneously. So we just don't do it. We're like, you know what? Ain't nobody got time for that. We just don't have time. Why? Because we are devoting our lives as best we're able to by the power of Christ within us to live lives for eternity. So the other stuff, the petty stuff, just seems pathetically petty when you live in light of eternity. But get this. Look at verse 26. Go to these people so that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Guys, the enemy is holding people captive, and the only key is Jesus Christ. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. The only key to unlocking that captivity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus did not tell us to just simply sit and pray for people. Yes, there comes a point sometimes where you have done all the things Paul told us to do here, and the person has just rejected you. At that point, you release them into the hands of the God who made them, and you pray. But you should be exhausted by then. You should be emotionally and physically exhausted by the time you give up and just pray for them. Jesus did not say, just pray. Jesus said, go. Go and make disciples. He actually just said this, disciple. 
In the Greek, it just says, therefore, disciple. No question. No, no. Well, does he really, what does he really mean? No, just do it. He's like, just do it. It's a command, not a suggestion. So here's my question. Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? And what, here's what I mean by that. Who in your life would, would say your walk with them is helping them in their walk with Christ? That's what discipling is. It can be at all different levels, from an unbeliever to a believer. But who in your life that God has put there would say, if I were to ask them, hey, who do you have in your life who is helping you walk with Christ? They would say your name. Who? Question I ask a lot in my home. If not you, who? If not now, when? The girls have gotten so tired of hearing me say it that they, they, can, they can finish it. As soon as I say, if not you, who? They'll finish it with, if not now, when? Because they just don't want to hear it come out of this face anymore. But it's the truth, guys. Jesus is saying to us today, if not you, who? If not now, when? Paul is saying to us today, if not you, who? If not now, when? As the music team comes up, we're going to just take a few minutes to respond to, to all of this yelling, all of these imperatives Paul has given us. And at Cornerstone, we respond a variety of ways. One, we pray. Prayer is powerful. I'm not saying do not pray for people. I'm saying pray and then act. So we pray. Another thing we do is we, we sacrifice by giving our tithes and offering to the Lord. That's another way to respond to the gospel message. Another way that we respond here is by going to the Lord's table in communion, and we're going to do that in just a minute. And another way we respond is by singing our hearts out in praise. So let's do that as well. Guys, to get to the end of your days and live unashamed is to know that you've lived fully for him. So is your life on the road you want it to be? Pastor Josh Vincent, he's the pastor at Trinity Bible Church. His wife went to be with the Lord after fighting cancer for many years, leaving him and his three boys. She died in December, or she departed in December. She used to say this, there are two moments that matter. There are two moments that matter. For everyone in here, there are two moments that matter. This one and your last one. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you for the truth that you have not only called us to action, but you have empowered us to do so. Lord, I pray that we would be vessels of honor, worthy to be used by our Master. We are just instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. We can't do any of this stuff. You know that. That's why you gave us your Spirit. We're not going to walk out of here today going, I can do this. We can do this. We together can do this. And we, with you in us, can do this. Whatever this is. But our role, our responsibility in that, is to do our part. Is to respond. So Lord, I want to pray right now in this moment that matters for eternity, for those that are in this room that do not know you, 
who if today were the day that you were to return, their knee would bow because every knee will, but it would not be in humble submission. It would be buckled. Lord, bow their knee now. Graciously bow their knee now. Humble them that they might look up and see a God on a cross saying, I love you. I love you. And Father, I pray that we would not walk out of here knowing we're saved by grace, but we have to live in our strength. The same grace that saved us is the grace that makes it possible for us to walk worthy. And it's the grace that makes it possible for us to look at someone else behind us and say, hey, you, come follow me as I follow Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.